Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody. If you have your Bibles, you can turn over to Nehemiah chapter 4. We're going to be looking at Nehemiah chapter 4 and Nehemiah chapter 6 in our time together. Um, so this, uh, this is a weekend in which we celebrate through Valentine's Day love, warmth, intimacy, those kinds of issues. And it's nice, and especially, you know, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you should have people around you that love you deeply, that you love deeply. I mean, that's just, that's kind of all part of it, isn't it? And so thus I wore red today, okay? All right, all right. However, to be a follower of Jesus Christ will mean you'll have people around you that you love deeply. But inevitably, if you're trying to make a difference for the kingdom of God, if you're trying to touch lives with the truth of the gospel, if you're trying to, to, to reach into lives and, and, and speak the truth, you will be opposed. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's part of our lot. So the question is, how do we overcome this? How do we overcome opposition? I, I was thinking, our challenges are many when it comes to opposition, isn't it? Aren't they? Um, Paul tells us that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. I can't possibly, on my own, know how to resist and confront the hordes of hell that would seek to stop what Christ is doing through me in this life, right? So, so that, that's part of it. But there's also people who choose to stand in the way. When you share something about Christ, they will oppose you. They will stop. So, so opposition comes, according to Paul, both from the demonic world and from humans who are given over to those kinds of things. So what do we do? Do we give up? That would be one option. Just stop. Or is there a way forward in the midst of opposition? We could find encouragement from a lot of passages in the scripture. But today we want to do it from an Old Testament text in Nehemiah. How does Nehemiah face opposition? And Mark, if we could flip to the second slide here. Can you see that little, there's, there's a, a, a model of, of what Jerusalem would have looked like when they actually rebuilt it at the time of Nehemiah. Much smaller than in the first century with Herod's temple and everything. I get that. So much smaller. But I was thinking about this, and I don't have, I don't have my pointer with me. So just roughly um, from about here up to before it actually bends is about 500 yards and I was thinking about this. I was reading in chapter 3 again. There is a particular group that are given the task of rebuilding a wall, 500 yards of a wall, and it will be completed in 52 days. That's a lot of work. And, 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 and it's not just then that, that Nehemiah is saying, okay, we got to do this work. The bottom line is it's a lot to do. I mean, some of these guys are going to miss sleep and it's going to be hard, all kinds of stuff. And as James pointed out last week when he spoke, it's hard enough when the task before you 
is demanding. It's even worse when people are bickering and fighting within, right? And so you often will have this internal issue. So Nehemiah has got to deal with people inside. No, no, stop doing that. No, don't do that to them. And plus, he's got a great work. But that, it's even more than that. It's not just the task. It's not just the internal. It's that there's people on the outside that want to stop God's work. And so as we talk through Nehemiah, I want you to think about your own life. What is it that God has set before you as part of his kingdom work? That you know he wants you to do. I mean, you know it. But opposition is trying to hold you back. And see what God does in Nehemiah's life so that you and I might apply it to our own. Does that make sense? So what I want you to do is this. Um, Come with me. Let's go back for just a second to Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 10. Kind of get our feet wet because this is what you're going to find out. The opposition that Nehemiah faces is on the one hand relentless and on the other hand it's diverse. It's relentless because from the get-go all the way through the end, it just never stops. Do you ever feel that way with opposition sometimes? You're trying to make a difference for Christ, and you're saying, will this ever stop? Right? You know the feeling, right? So on the one hand, the opposition is relentless. On the other hand, the relentless is creatively diverse, which means the enemy doesn't just come at us one way and then give up. No, no, no. If that doesn't work, he does this, or this, or this, or this, or very diverse. And where I want to encourage you is the reality is it's tough. The hope is that God can still use us in the midst of all that. Okay? But it's relentless. In chapter 2, verse 10, think about this. Nehemiah hasn't even gotten back to Palestine yet, to Jerusalem. And look what chapter 2, verse 10 says. So he's still out collecting material. He's coming in, right? 2.10. When Samballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, that, that Nehemiah was coming back, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. So you've got this group made up of guys like Samballat and Tobiah, and, and the best we can tell from historical study and so forth, it, it, for, for a guy like Samballat, this is a political game. Because he is governor of Samaria, which is north. And he's had influence and control over this area. And the last thing he wants to do is lose it. So for him, it's a political issue. And for Tobiah, who's an Ammonite, it's the same thing for him. They all have vested interest. And the last thing they want is for the Jews to get anything gone again back in that land. Often, Attacks that you and I face may come through people who may have a politi different political agenda than us. There's things we believe that, that we believe with the very core of our heart and all kinds of people who are against political correctness or whatever terms they're using for whatever thing we're talking about. Uh, you know what I'm saying, right? It's the world in which we live. So before he even gets there, they're already opposing him. Look at chapter 2, verse 20, 19 and 20. 
Nehemiah has finally come. He's looked around the walls. He's checked things out. He's ready to start building. He talks to the people about the whole plan about building. And notice what happens in verse 19. When Samballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and here, let's throw another guy in here, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this that you are doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I don't know if you remember this. Nehemiah comes from Persia. He's a cupbearer there. And the king of Persia that he served under had earlier made an edict that nobody can rebuild these walls. But in God's good grace and in God's good timing, God worked and his heart changed. And he told Nehemiah to go back and rebuild the walls. But these guys are using the same old argument. He gets there and he's ready to build and they're saying, hey, don't you remember what the king did before on this one? You can't do this. You guys are a bunch of losers. What's Nehemiah saying in verse 20? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start building. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. Wow. So they're playing the political game and putting on pressure and tactics and all that kind of stuff. And he stands up and he says, this is God's work. And we are in the midst of doing God's work. We're not going to listen to you. We're not going to compromise with you. No way we're going ahead with what God's called us to do. Wow. And they haven't even started building yet. Do you see the opposition? I mean, it's just like, it gets worse in chapter 4. Chapter 4, they finally begin building. And in chapter 4, there's, there's kind of two major waves that come at the people of opposition. And as we walk through the opposition that Nehemiah faced, I want you to see how he reacts each time. Because it will give us insight how we can react. So chapter 4, in verse 1, the Bible says this, now, when Sam Ballot heard that we were rebuilding the wall, okay, so now they're into it, right? He's tried everything to stop them from even starting, but they're into it. He became angry and was greatly incensed. So he ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Well, nobody said they were going to finish in a day. But isn't that how ridicule works and mockery? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble which have been burned? And to add to that, Tobiah the Ammonite who was at his side said, what are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their walls of stones. Have you ever tried to step out in faith, take a risk, seek to honor God, and you just get nailed by people who ridicule you and mock you and try to shut you down. 
So Tobiah says, if a fox stands up on that wall you're building, it all comes tumbling down. <laughs> you know, that's what they're doing. It's just, it's just it's pure mockery. and ridicule. You ever been ridiculed as a Christian? Hey, I, I remember. I, in fact, I, I think I probably shared this somewhere before. I, I Just say deja vu and I'll move on. But, but um, I'll never forget after I first became a Christian. I was only eight years old when I, when I heard the gospel. But it was just like, and I remember after getting saved, I think to myself, everybody at my school is going to want to hear this thing. I mean, I was only in third grade, so it's not that big of a deal. But I remember going in. To, my, to the lunchroom, sitting down with everybody. I thought, this is going to be a mass revival because they probably don't know what I didn't know. I just found out, I'll tell them. And, and nobody wanted to listen to me. I mean, like, they just, they thought, they thought oh, they, they said all kinds. And I felt like, what is that? But I, I faced that over and over again in my life, haven't you? Share your faith with some people. Like, oh, that, you, you, you people just need a crutch. You, that's all you are, crutch people. You know, you can't stand on your own. I mean, all kinds of stuff. You just ridicule and attack and things like that. And you're thinking, no, no, no. It's, it's much deeper than that. We're sinners. We need God's forgiveness, you know. But, but, but people do that, don't they? So we shouldn't be surprised with that kind of opposition to discourage us. Notice how... Nehemiah responds in verse 4. He responds with prayer. Um, I was telling the folks last night, what's kind of nice with our new system, you get to preach this stuff twice. So hopefully you get to try to rework it for Sunday morning when you make mistakes Sunday night, but Saturday night. But sometimes I bring some stuff back. Um, but but when, I, when I was mentioning this to the people last night, I, I couldn't help but thinking, and I should know better. Like, I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to know this stuff, right? But there was an issue that came up about two weeks ago. And I remember I was really distraught over it. You know, and I'm thinking, you know, I could do that, or maybe I should do that, or how about this, or I should talk to that person about that and that, that. You know, I'm, I'm just trying to work the whole thing out, you know? And the Spirit of God in my heart said, why don't you pray? Pink Biner. <laughs> Pastor Finkbeiner. And I did. And, 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 and God uses that, doesn't he? Look at, what, look at what he does here. I love it. I love it. I mean, all the way through this passage, the guy's praying. I love it. Hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight. For they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height. For the people worked with all their hearts. So what happens when we're moving ahead by the grace of God to make an impact in this world. To do what he's called us to do. And man people come at us and they ridicule us. Do we seek revenge? No way. It's like Paul said. Vengeance, God said, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. When that kind of onslaught comes on to us, the Bible never calls us to get revenge and get them back. It calls us to give it over to God. And God in his justice will deal with things as he sees fit, which frees us to continue with what he's called us to do. Does that make sense? 
But the first thing he does is he prays. And, and praying and realizing this is God's work, they step out and they say they can say whatever they want. We are going to build. That's exactly what happens. But the enemy is clever. So if the ridicule, mockery thing doesn't work, hmm, let's use something a little bit more direct. Let's go ahead and scheme to attack and ultimately destroy them. And that's what you find them doing next. Look at what it says here in verse 7. When Samballot, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod, so now we just threw a whole other group of people in. So there's a lot of opponents here. It's kind of building. The, the, the other team's building there. Heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's, Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed they were very angry. Every time they're getting angry, you know, and so they're going to try something else. So they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. So what do you do when the ridicule thing doesn't work and they come on and they're saying, we're going to actually come and try to destroy this work. I love what happens. Look at what it says here um, in verse 9. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Does prayer mean we do nothing? No. Prayer means we ultimately depend upon God, but in depending upon God, we step out in wisdom and we do wise things. So if people say, we're going to attack the wall, and there's still some areas that are lower. And there's some areas that are problematic. Nehemiah says, what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to put guards up there. We're going to have to change our, what we're actually doing here to accomplish the task. We're going to have to put guards up here. But it's not like we're going to put up guards and they will work and we'll do it all on our own. It's not that at all. It always starts with prayer. God, we need you. We depend upon you at the end of the day. Now, grant us wisdom to react appropriately to the situation. Isn't that what we do? And so they built the walls. And then they, they, they brought on the guards. But then what he does is he kind of gives you a little bit of flashback. He kind of makes a statement. He says, let me give you some of the details of what that all entails. So he does that for us here in verse 10. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. All our enemies said, um, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we'll kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us 10 times, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Do you see what's happening? Nehemiah says, when the pressure came on, I just want you to give us the backstory. And the backstory is this. When the pressure came on, it really was discouraging to some people. People were saying, it's already a hard work, and now we have to have guards too? <sighs> and then Jews from outside come up, and 10 times they say, we're dead. Okay, thank you. We're dead. Got it. We're dead. Thank you. Like, how many times do you have to hear that? 
And the point is, it just kept coming. And it, 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 so Jews inside are getting discouraged, and Jews outside are coming and saying, man, we don't have a chance. Nehemiah is hearing all this. And so it's working at one level. And so he says, this is what I did. I prayed, and in verse 13, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall. That's wise, right? At the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords and spears and bows. And I looked over, I looked things over. I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, do not be afraid. How can you possibly say don't be afraid when people are trying to kill us? Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome. And fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Go on and fulfill the task. But remember this. There is a great and awesome God who is ultimately behind you, accomplishing his tasks through you. So be courageous. Haven't you found that in your own life? There's times when you're overwhelmed, discouraged. You come to God in prayer, and he not only grants you wisdom, but he, he encourages you, or he gives you courage to step out and do what is right. It's exactly what happens here. Nehemiah says, be people of wisdom, be people of courage, and do the work of God by his strength. For at the end of the day, it is his work. Wow. What the text goes on to say there in verses 16 to the end of the chapter, that they, they, they were wise, they were courageous, but in doing that, a fair amount of people had to actually now carry around spears and just constantly be on the guard because they didn't know what was going to happen. And not just that, every worker had to carry a sword with them. So that if all of a sudden um, somebody gets over the wall, man, and I'm trying to put some mortar in somewhere, I got a sword, I, I'm ready to go. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's how they had to do it. And Nehemiah plans, you know, I've got a trumpeter with me, and if we have a problem on one side, I'll blow a trumpet and you guys come. So this doesn't eliminate planning. Do you see that, folks? Trusting God doesn't mean, you know what, I'm not going to think at all about what is wise here. I'm just going to do nothing. That's presumption. So we step out and we do something that is wise and appropriate, but we do it at the, knowing at the end of the day that the only reason it will succeed is because God is behind us. Does that make sense? So it's a very, very, very wise approach that Nehemiah does. Nehemiah says that he and the guards that are with him, that are kind of, because you can imagine, he's got, he's got his group of guys that are watching him. He said, we never, put, we never put our swords down. When we slept, we had them with us. When we got water, we had them with us. Had them with us wherever we were. We were ready to go. So, so we, 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 we heard what the enemy's doing. We, we sought pray, prayer from God. We depended upon him. We made wise choices. We acted in courage, and we're going to keep going. And they did. And the work continued to prosper. Before they ever got there, opposition. Nehemiah faces opposition. Before they start building, opposition. Chapter 4, while they're building, opposition. Chapter 6, 
If you come over to chapter 6. As they're finishing, and after they finish, there's still opposition. Look at chapter 6, verses 1 to 14. As they're building, finishing the work, the enemy intensifies. Now, what's interesting is this. Remember I said the enemy has this way of being not only relentless, but diverse and crafty. What happens in chapter 6 is, the attack now goes directly after, at the leader himself, Nehemiah. That's pretty brilliant too, right? You know, you can attack the group. If that's not working, go after the leader. Because if you can discredit the leader, perhaps you can destroy the whole work. This stuff, you see, this stuff happens all the time. One of the, one of the most devastating things that, 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 that I mean, I, I, I hate the fact. I could tell you too many stories and it's, it's sad to me. And any one of us could, any one of the leaders could tell you this. There have been too many churches where Satan has gone after the enemy, I'm after the leader, he's the enemy, has gone after the leader. And the leader has succumbed. Sometimes it's to moral failure. Sometimes it's, it's in other areas where has done something that has totally discredited him as a leader before God. And it becomes a mockery in the community around. And it disheartens and discourages the people of God. So it's a brilliant approach, isn't it? And unfortunately, it works sometimes. So we have got to be careful. I hope, I hope that we not only pray for one another, but I hope you pray for us as leaders consistently. I hope you do. And I know you do. Because we need it. God knows that. So notice the approach that they use in chapter 6. It's crafty, it's wicked, but it, it's, it's brilliant too. It's going to use a form of manipulation. Because this is ultimately what he thinks. Sam Ballot realizes, I'm not going to be able to attack the city, that's not going to work. I can't discourage the people, that's not going to work. This is what I'll do. Maybe I can talk Nehemiah into getting together with me at a meeting away from Jerusalem. And when he comes, I'll kill him. But I got to get him there in a way that's deceptive. I can't say, hey, would you mind coming over to Ono so I could kill you? I mean, that's not going to work terribly well. So I got to figure out some way to get him from there to there. So he'll start out by, by this first attack basically saying, um, why don't you come and look, let's let bygones be bygones and let's try to have a truce. And when he comes, we'll kill him. Okay? Look, look at what happens. When the word came to Samballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it. You see, we're getting to the end of this building here. Though up to that time, I had not yet set the doors and the gates, so there were still some things remaining to be done. Sam Ballot and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Come down to Ono. Oh, no. 
Come down to oh no, oh no. Come down to oh no. I mean, oh no, 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 no. Four times. They're not, I mean, they're like, they're not getting it. And, and, and he's somewhat, Nehemiah is careful in his approach because, I don't know, if it would have been me, I would have said, I'm not coming down there because you're going to try to kill me. That's, I mean, that's what I would have said. Okay. But he's, you know, he's a little bit more diplomatic than that. He says, look, I'm doing a great work. I can't, I need it here. I'm, I'm, I don't have time for this. Okay. Four times. Well, that doesn't quite work. So they figure we really got to put the pressure on him, really manipulate him, intimidate him this time. So look what they do the fifth time, verse 5. Then the fifth time, Sam Ballant sent his aide to me with the same message. And in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written this. I mean, he's so, this guy is so subtle. He, I, not he's not all that subtle. He comes down fifth time and uh, Nehemiah must be rolling his head thinking, rolling his head. I don't know how you roll your head. Roll your eyes. I guess you could roll his head too, but I think he was rolling his eyes. He rolled his eyes probably as they're coming up. And... This time, they're a little bit more subtle. This time, he doesn't just say, come and meet with us. He says, oh, um, by the way, I have this uh, unsealed letter <laughs> that I thought you might want to read because I really care about you, and I thought this might help you. So here's the letter. It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true. Who cares if Geshem says it's true? But anyway, that nonetheless, that you... And the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now, this report will get back to the king, so come, let us meet together. See what he's doing? Hey, you know, Nehemiah, we're only here to help. We care. We'd like to have a truce. I got this letter. I don't know what to do with it. Because it sounds like you want to try to become king. And that would not be a good thing. I'd hate this to get back to the Persian king. So, um, you know, can we meet? See see what he's doing? I mean, it's, it's, it's brilliant. Pressure, intimidation, manipulation, whatever. Whatever he needs to do. What does Nehemiah do? I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head, which is a nice way of saying liar. Okay. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. I love it. I love it. The pressure is on. Oh, man, now I've got this thing, and they're going to tell the king, and I, it's a lie, but, but scandal's that way. I mean, if I throw out a lie about you, even if it's not true, don't people sometimes wonder, I wonder if there's any truth to that, right? I mean, that's kind of how it works. That's how scandal works. And Nehemiah's feeling the pressure, and he just says, God, just strengthen my hands. God, you're going to have to cover my back because I can't. Strengthen my hands as I move forward. You can cover my back. But the enemy doesn't give up. Tried kind of this deceptive, subtle approach. Come on down to, oh no, pressure, pressure, but not working. So they come up with another approach. If you can't do it directly, do it indirectly. We got to discredit this guy. And what we find out in the text 
is that they had insiders, prophets, prophetesses, and priests that were in support of Samballat and Tobiah, some of which Nehemiah didn't know. And one of them tries to set them up next. This is awful. Look at verse 10. One day, I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, son of Mehetabel, who was shut in his house, shut at his house. He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple itself and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night they are coming to kill you. Now a priest, a Jew, says, Nehemiah, Nehemiah, I know it's against the law that God's established for you and I to go in the temple itself. I mean, the actual temple. Uh, that, that's only for priests. But whatever, whatever. Let's be pragmatic here. Let's just go in there because it's a pretty safe, secure place. And if we go in there, we'll be safe from all these enemies, even though it's against what God said, but whatever. But you'll be all right. So he was arguing pragmatically, wasn't he? Come in here. I know it's wrong. But he knew what would happen. Nehemiah knew if he did that, two things would happen. On the one hand, people would see Nehemiah as being a coward, and number two, as being disobedient to God. But it was from an insider who was working for an outsider against Nehemiah. What does he do? I said, verse 11, should a man like me run away? Or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him. And the reason he knew God had not sent him is no prophet will tell you to directly disobey the word of God. It doesn't work that way. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this. And then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. God, remember Tobiah and Sam Ballot because of what they have done. Remember also the prophet Nodiah. Now, I don't know who she is, but it's, it's it, or this guy, Nodiah. And how she, it's Gal, I mean, this prophet Nodiah. And how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. So he gets to the end, and all he does is he prays to God, and he says, God, I leave them with you. I mean, people I trusted are working for the enemy. I leave them with you. And here's the beauty, folks. Look at what verse 15 says. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elo in 52 days. Hey, folks, it was a tough two months. I mean, pressure in every way imaginable. But God continues his work. So, Mark, if we could flip to the next slide. If I could put this in one sentence, I'd say this. While opposition to God's work is relentless and diverse, and it is, I mean, it comes in every size, shape, and form. God empowers believers to overcome the opposition through courageous and wise dependence upon him. I don't know where you are. 
I don't know what you're experiencing. I don't know what the roadblock looks like, but I do know this. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. You know, I was thinking about this. Has Jesus experienced any of those things? Any opposition? Ever ridiculed? Oh my goodness. They looked at our blessed Lord and they said, you are a Samaritan, which was not a compliment. You know, you, I mean, they just constantly, you are of the devil. That's not a compliment. You know, I mean, constantly they were ridiculing him and mocking him when he's on the cross dying for the sins of the world. They're still mocking him. Hey, you're the one that said that you destroyed the temple and rebuilt in three days. Come on down and we'll worship you. I mean, just mockery even on the cross when he's dying for us. Opposition in every way imaginable. Satan comes before him and pragmatically says, hey, let's just kind of go around this whole cross thing. If you worship me now, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. And Jesus said, that would be pragmatic. And I will not do that. So whether you're looking at the attacks Christ gets from Satan or through the religious establishment, which is representing Satan, Jesus comes through the entire ordeal as the greatest of all overcomers. Except he overcame by allowing them to put him on a cross. Because that was the plan of God. That was part of the plan of God. And through that entire process, our blessed Lord that experienced all of those things has overcome. And he calls us, as Romans 8 tells us, we are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. My wife and I were talking about this last night before we went to bed. And I hadn't thought about it, but I thought it's, it's a good point. Because I want to be really, really clear. Um, God will accomplish his work through us, but sometimes it's not in ways that we would necessarily expect. In their case, it was to have that thing rebuilt. Six years ago, Shuri and I were in Beirut, Lebanon. I'd been asked to come over and do some stuff with some pastors, do some training. And so, so she, she came along. We had, we had a wonderful time. I was a little bit nervous, frankly. I made sure my will and everything was set before we took off. A little bit nervous. And actually, when we flew out, we, we, we got out of Beirut. Four days later, they shut down everything. You couldn't even get to the airports because it was another, I don't know what it was, but whatever. So we flew in, God protect us, we got out. So it was good. But, but when I was there, because I thought, I, I felt pressure for just a couple days. But I was with brothers and sisters who shared their story of being persecuted and opposed for their entire lives. And the church we were working with had just built a beautiful building. It's all done. They, they'd done it themselves. It was really nice. They were meeting in this space. They had just moved into it. And within a week or two after moving in, the political religious groups around them came in and they drug people out and, and hurt some of them. And then the politicians shut down the entire church. They put all kinds of things around it. And, and, and to this day, that church sits there and it's still not being used. 
So I can't promise you that a particular building always will occur the way we intend. But you know what's happened there? The work of God has gone on. They're still in a rented facility. But the work is going on and people are getting saved and the kingdom of God is advancing. So I can't, I mean, I can't promise you that it'll work out exactly the way we want, but it will always work out the way he wants. If in the midst of it, we depend and trust on him, pray for his wisdom, pray for courage, and step out and do what God's called us to do. And folks, if we do, don't be surprised what God does. For he is the great overcomer. Father, thank you and your grace for giving us such wonderful stories. Showing us what only you can do. But Father, you choose to do those things through us. May we be men and women who don't shirk back in fear or discouragement, but step out and seek to do our part in kingdom advancement, whatever that means. And know that you will grant us both wisdom and courage to do what you've called us to do. In Christ's name I pray, amen.